Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Noel Kassler podcast, episode 45. I'm back here with my main man, Jimmy Kennedy, to break down the week's events and hopefully make you guys laugh a little bit, though uh, it's hard to come by the laughs these days, (laughs) even for the professionals. But Jimmy's always laughing. What are you laughing about over there today, Jimmy? Well, I finally uh, I said that I had Don't Look Up on my list on uh, Netflix. Watch that this week awesome uh flick even though it didn't have the brightest ending uh there was there was definitely some lines that had me rolling on the floor laughing uh and a really innovative film by adam mckay that couldn't be more timely with with what we're facing as a country so yeah absolutely adam mckay's the dude man he makes (laughs) great movies he's my favorite as you well know and uh we won't discuss any of those great lines because i don't want to ruin it for those who haven't seen it but uh it's a good one and uh, what else did I see that was decent? I've been watching a lot of stuff. You know, there's a great Churchill movie that came out a few years ago with Gary Oldman, who plays Churchill, that I think is a great movie to watch these days because it talks about like language. It's basically about how he had to convince the British people to stand up to Nazi Germany because Neville Chamberlain and all these guys. There was a lot of guys in Britain who were like, let's just cut a deal. Mussolini will negotiate it and we'll be fine, you know, (laughs) and uh, let's not rock the boat. Like, what do we care? You know, which was the American attitude, too. We weren't getting involved either. And we didn't get involved for years, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's a different part of the story. But, you know, that's sort of a good metaphor for where we're at now where language is very important right language can be used to inspire a people and and let them know that the dangers face you know the dangers will come to them too if you don't stop tyranny and fascism even though you might have a comfortable life you know eventually it's going to catch up with you and that was the argument that Churchill made, he was like, look, they're going to be flying the swastika on Buckingham Palace. Do you want that? You know, and the common man in England was like, hell no, (laughs) you know, that ain't happening here, you know, so it was almost like, you know, the proletariat got the final say in the decision to go to war because a lot of the elite comfortable people were like hey my life is good you know and you can make that analogy to the environment right you know people are like what do we got to do you know it's freezing outside what do you mean climate change i got to put food on the table i like cheeseburgers bro i ain't eating tofu you know what i mean what do i care if burger king's ruining the planet you know it's all these little things that you don't want to give up your comfort and the time is up You know, and that movie illustrated not just the Churchill one, but what you mentioned, Don't Look Up, it illustrated so well, and I won't give out spoilers, but it talked about how social media, you know, and and TV entertainment wants to make things nice, right? And we see a lot of that this week and a lot of the coverage of January 6th, they don't dig super deep, right? They show the clips that we all see and stuff, and they get the same talking heads on the media, but they're not talking about Clarence Thomas's wife posting on Facebook that patriots need to show up and, and take their you know rightful place in history while they're attacking the Capitol. You know, they don't talk about her history, you know, with right-wing causes. Like that's not mentioned when they talk about the Supreme Court, right? A lot of the stuff Trump did was never mentioned in 2016. Right. It was easier to talk about how he was being a bully to Marco Rubio and, and Megyn Kelly than it was to say, hey, you know, there's a credible accusation that this guy was 
sleeping with kids, you know, children, sex workers, you know, that his buddy Epstein was bringing in. That's not a joke, but it's untoward. It's unseemly. And it, uh, it affects the happy consumer in a negative way. And people forget that news is a business, right? They're selling you a product, you know, mm -hmm. they're selling you something that you read on the train on the way to work. You know, you see an ad for Macy's while you're reading about current events or something, you know, it's a business. And I think there's a lot of business involved with the issues we're facing now, right? Climate change, it affects corporate interests, right? They don't want to rock the boat, political interest. Everybody wants to feel comfortable with our institutions, right? Yeah, yeah. Micro, I, the, the best response I heard or the most common response I heard after Merrick Garland's speech last week was, he said what I wanted to hear. Exactly. Right. <laughs> he knew what you wanted to hear, you know, and after a year, he finally spoke up because he was getting a lot of criticism. He didn't say, I'm going to go to the ends of the earth to find the organizers of this thing. He was like, I'm working my way up the ladder. And, and Laurie, Lawrence Tribe called him out, you know, who was his teacher at Harvard and was like, I didn't hear anything that made me feel better, <laughs> you know. And the thing that bothered me was that he said, I don't care how long it takes. We're going to no. Well, you should care how long it takes because there's a clock like you watch football, Jimmy. You only got four quarters, right? You got four 15 minute increments to make something happen. You don't have all day. And there's never been a time in American history when we've we've faced that more than now. And that's not to say that the rule of law doesn't matter and that things don't need to have due process. They do. But there should be an urgency there that, frankly, we're not seeing. And Larry Tribe makes the argument like, look, you can already get them on these smaller charges, you know, these mm. secessionist type charges. And he'll he'll quote the laws that like you could have gone after them for this on day one, you right. know, just to make the point that you're not going to stand for this. And, you know, and that's not even mentioning Robert Mueller, who left him gift wrapped 10 counts <laughs> or something like that, right, right, of obstruction of justice and said, you can prosecute this guy when he's no longer president. And that didn't happen. So my point is, you probably could have done something a little more profound at this point. And I think, right. as I've said often on this show and others, that, you know, there's a reason like the the symbol of justice is the lady holding like a sword and then scales, right? And those scales are meant to be in balance. And Trump put them way out of balance, right? Because mm -hmm. he had the AG as his personal consigliere getting them out of rape <laughs> cases and often Jeffrey Epstein and doing all this other nefarious stuff because that's what Bill Barr did. He was a fixer for evil Republicans. He got Elliot Abrams off for the massacre at El Mazote. Like, if you want to not have the truth come out, Bill Barr is your man because he has no scruples, you know? But yeah. so, you know, so that's all in play as my point. And you have to like, let people know that these institutions have your back, right? And, and the left is sort of devolving into this infighting because there's a lot of comfortable middle-class folks that are like, it works just fine for me, you know, just let it play out. I trust the system. Of course you do. You're a 60 year old white man, you know, or woman. Of course you trust the system, but you're not, you don't have that same sense of urgency over all the minorities and African-Americans that are sitting in jail, innocent to this day, probably in the millions, you know, that didn't really do anything wrong that a white person in a similar circumstances would not have been arrested for. And, and we give no cause to their due process right but now like the argument is always like and i'll get this a lot well he's a former president 
you can't just you know you got to make sure like you got a good case when you go and hold him to a higher level of criticism right there's two things in that first of all you had no respect for him when he was a president because he didn't earn it and didn't deserve any respect and he stole the freaking 2000 election 2016 election with the help of the russians right so we already know that but so it's like you they want it kind of both ways right you want to be like super careful because he's a president and they also make the argument that like well we don't want him to be able to wiggle out of it you know or he can afford an (laughs) army of lawyers and stuff first of all his lawyers are old alcoholics with hair dye dripping down their face you know farting in public okay rudy giuliani is not david boys okay but in that argument they're making it's sort of like there's an admission of the system is corrupt right? It's like he can afford a bunch of lawyers and therefore he'll get off. Yeah, it shouldn't be that way. There shouldn't be two sets of justice. If you're wealthy, you shouldn't be able to get off on something. And that's why, you know, when when OJ Simpson went, didn't go to prison, because everyone knew he killed his wife. It wasn't a secret. It was obvious. African-Americans knew that. They weren't cheering a murderer getting free. They were cheering like, oh, the system kind of finally worked for right. a black guy too. He was rich and got the good lawyers and he got off. Why can't he get off when all you white motherfuckers have been getting off for the same <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? And you got guys like Dershowitz that specialize in that. You know, right. I think I talked about that last week with, you know, Klaus von Bülow and stuff. You know, it's 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 always known that you can get out of stuff. Ep- Epstein being the biggest kind of modern case of that, you know, and they'll also make the argument, well, what about who is the Wall Street guy who went down a few years ago, stole everybody's money? Bernie Madoff. Bernie right. Madoff, right? So yeah. Bernie Madoff yeah. finally went down because he stole the wrong people's money, right? right. He right. didn't go down because exactly. he was running a Ponzi scheme. He was like people that were, you know, in on the grift started losing their money in Palm Beach and stuff. So that's why they kind of, they couldn't take it anymore. And he was a, a sociopath, but look how long he got away with that sort of fi- financial malfeasance. And you have to like, you have to be honest about that, that these, the, the institutions failed us. That's how we got Trump. Trump was a guy who knew how to exploit the legal system his entire life. Okay. The Justice Department opened their first case against Trump in 1973 for unfair housing because he would discriminate against black folks. He would write a little B on the application if they were black and they wouldn't get the apartment. These apartments that his father was given, you know, interest-free money from the federal government to build so affordable housing would be there for these GIs returning for World War II, right? Mm-hmm. And Trump used it as his personal racist fiefdom. You know, he was a slumlord who would like discriminate against people to the point that the Justice Department had to open a case against him in 1973. He was 27 years old. Okay, now you're telling me at 75, they got him right where he wants him and justice (laughs) is coming, you know, which I'll end this rant with this. But first of all, he's 75. He already got away with it. Okay, whatever case you're bringing against him, it's going to be tied up in the courts for years. Okay, and by the time he's 80, he'll go with his dementia defense or whatever. You know, Trump's never going to see the inside of a prison cell. And if you think he is, you're tripping. You're just tripping, you know, and neither are Ivanka and Jared. They'll be on the first plane to Saudi Arabia the moment they know. Look what she did. Right. Her and her and Don Jr. Scrump, as I call him, got subpoenaed right by the New York right. Attorney General this week. And they've said, no, we're not complying 
Imagine yeah. the arrogance of that, dude. If I skip jury duty, I feel like I'm freaking Jesse James. You know what I mean? I'm right. looking over my shoulder for the rest of my life. These guys are getting a subpoena to come in for an interview with the attorney general of New York state, the state that birthed them and made them wealthy. And their response is like, F you, we don't need to comply. <laughs> right. Because they're above the law. That's what they've been bred to believe, that the Trumps play by a different rule. And there's nobody to show them that. They've never had any experience that that's not true because it's always been true. Daddy can rape somebody in Bergdorf Goodman and walk back to his office and not be held accountable. Mm. That's the world they grow up in. Scrump can say, you know who my father is? Don Jr. got his ass kicked at the comedy cellar in 2003 because he was laughing <laughs> too loud at a racist joke, you know, yeah. and being annoying to the people around him at the next table. It's really close in there. And he mm -hmm. was super drunk. So he mm -hmm. like spilled his beer and it like splashed on some dude's girlfriend and they kicked his ass. A guy from <laughs> Staten Island in Brooklyn, you know, and then his dad called up the owner of the comedy cellar and made him apologize and stuff. People fear Trump in New York. They shouldn't fear him. He's a coward. He's the worst of us, you know, and that sort of privilege needs to be called out, not enabled further by this institutionalism. Okay. You know, this country's never played fair by a lot of the people. Don't tell me like the, you know, it's all going to work out. <laughs> you haven't paid the people who built this country. You know, that capital was built by enslaved people who've never received a dime for their labor. Okay. So don't act like this is some great institutional place where all things will work out fine in the end. It's not. You know, it's the fiefdom for corporations and big business and capitalists to make a lot of money and for the rules to be set by middle-aged and older white men <laughs> and their desire to hold on to power and to create systems to be able to hand down that power to the next generation. And that's what we see in the GOP now. That's what we see. And I would, I try to point out on this podcast every week, you know, this sort of like you know, this pathway to prep school and country club and, you know, white shoe law firms and all this stuff where there's a different set of rules. Ivanka Trump should have federal marshals knocking on her door or New York state troopers. Who's, that's who delivers subpoenas in New York, I believe, you know, she shouldn't be like, no, I'm not compliant sitting down in her mansion and, you know, out down in Miami with Jared Kushner, who's texting his Masama, you know, whatever, MBS, you know, being like, bro, I might need to come visit, you know, yeah. you up, yeah. you up, Muhammad. You know? <laughs> I need your help, my man. Exactly. Um, yeah, you know, speak of the devil, I saw a clip of uh, Liz Cheney, you know, and she was saying, can you, it's unimaginable to see somebody like Eisenhower or a former Republican president do the same thing that Trump did. If it's unimaginable, then it's indictable right now. And they're just choosing not to do it. And you mentioned, uh, I thought of Khalif Browder, you know, when you were talking about unnecessary arrests. That dude spent three years in solitary confinement on suspicion of stealing a backpack. And you had a sitting president of the United States and Donald Trump lead an angry mob into the Capitol where he wasn't with them. He was in the White House dining room watching it on live TV. How can we have the symbol of our democracy attacked on live television, and yet there's no accountability later, uh, unless the system is built for a guy like Trump, you know, as you said, like, uh, and your best shot at keeping democracy is Darth Vader's daughter. Good luck, America. If well, that's she, your best shot, 
we we are in dire straits oh, let's be honest have, if you didn't have her you'd have nothing jimmy you know she is the one who's standing right. for the rule of law in the gop and you know let's go back to khalif browder he spent three years on rikers island because his family couldn't afford six hundred dollars bond to get him out that's why he was there and he got tortured and the same people like i said at the top of the show that are like oh we got to take our time they're not saying that about the people that are on rikers island right now living in hell on earth rikers island is a festering wound of human suffering at this very moment it's the most mismanaged prison in this country where people are living in horrific conditions and these people aren't bitching about that (laughs) you know they're not saying like oh we got to do it right for such and such, you know, sitting there. So there's always been two sets of justice in this country. And, you know, it pisses me off how many people on the left don't realize that, you know, they have their own sort of I'm comfortable and I, you know, they'd rather attack me than attack injustice. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you say something that doesn't fit with their mindset of believing everything is like hunky dory and like, the old white man is going to, you know, rush in and save the day, he might just run out the clock right? Robert Mueller basically did that. I know Robert Mueller came with stuff, but he went too big. He was trying to do everything, Mueller. He should have just focused in on a few things. It's like I always say, I want Trump to go to jail for the sexual assaults. I don't even care about the tax evasion. Everybody rich does that. Elon Musk isn't paying taxes. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's manipulating markets. Like, you know, go after Trump for the actual, like for the vice crimes, investigate him for all the like mysterious deaths around him but they won't, you know, and people will fight on the left and on the right, they'll continue to manipulate these rubes, you know, into thinking the second amendment and the constitution. I hear guys in in West Virginia, like will attack my Twitter feed being like, it's the constitution. Like, what are you talking about? You think the constitution helps you out there? Pork and beans in your little trailer, your whole state has been sold out to like interests that have poisoned your waters, your rivers, stripped mine, your mountains, and taken that money and bought a big house in Palm Beach with the help of your governor and now senator who doesn't give a crap about anything about money, right? Mm -hmm. But the right wing will get these like rural American MAGA types to be like the constitution, like it's some sacred (laughs) document, you know, it's a living document that's meant to be modified, you know, that was basically written by like 30 year old men who owned other human beings. Okay. These guys weren't the, like the paramount of some like great spiritual leaders, you know, some of them were brilliant. Benjamin Franklin is a baller. It's not saying that all the framers were completely indictable people, but times change. I don't think they would have this strict interpretation thing. And they would also be smart enough to see that it's just a ruse. It's just being used by these guys who don't give a crap about these people's rights to throw them a little bone for guys in Texas to say, hey, you get to have a gun, but you don't get to have a vaccine or wear a mask. And oh, by the way, Biden, I need some money now because everybody's dying of COVID. You know, a guy got shot the other day in Texas, Jimmy, carrying a birthday cake into Chuck E. Cheese for his six-year-old daughter. And he got in an argument with somebody in a parking lot in a Ford. I don't know if it's a pickup truck. I would imagine it's the Ford (laughs) F-150, right? Because that signifies a certain mental mindset. But they got in an argument and the guy shot him to death and he died. The father never made it inside. You know, he left a six-year-old daughter orphaned on her birthday with blood on her birthday cake, right? That's the America you're getting. That's what you're getting in Texas when you let these politicians manipulate you and let, let you 
buy the bullshit that some second amendment right to bear arms is worth allowing a grifter to ruin your country and then spawn a bunch of other grifters from little roller Rambo, as you call him, you know, <laughs> professor X, yeah. right. To DeSantis, <laughs> to little, you know, GI Joe army man, one-eyed Jacks little <laughs> boy, you know what I mean? They're all a bunch of grifters and scumbags and they know it, but they're able to tell these people like, you know, the only thing that matters is a constitution, a gun, and a Bible. You know, first of all, the Bible's fantasy, okay? It's a, there's a bunch of stories like that. It's just the one that's stuck. It's not real. It's, it's a metaphor. You know, it's a fairy tale. I'm not dissing your religion, but I don't think, as I've said many times, Jesus would be down with a lot of what's happening on the right. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? I don't think Jesus would be like, yeah, well, he had a right to bear arms, and the guy did give him the finger, so gotta shoot him. <laughs> gotta shoot him. It's legal. Stand your ground. You know what I mean? It's insanity, you know, and the country is going up in flames. And I'll get to the main point here. The people that are doing this, you know, your Murdochs, your Donald Trumps, they know that. There's a reason Ted Cruz had to go on Tucker Carlson and perform a sex act mm. involving spittle. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was hard to watch as a human being. Like, I've never seen anything like that where the guy wasn't tied to a chair in a room watching somebody else, like, have sex with his wife, right? That was yeah. like some porn shit, right? It was de debasing on a level none of us have seen. But I'll tell you what that was. And I said this in my car rant. That was a gift for Trump. It was throwing Trump a bone. And it was also Murdoch in asserting his power because they were punishing Ted Cruz for calling the rioters terrorists for calling these people that smeared their own feces on the walls of Congress bad people. Murdoch was like, how dare you? That's my bread and butter. Promoting the big lie and manipulating these idiots is how I'm sitting on this 300-foot yacht with Jerry Hall right now, okay? So you need to call that motherfucker on the carpet and torture him in front of the world. And that's what they did. And, and Ted Cruz lined up for it and was like, yes, sir, let me have another. <laughs> he knows that's his whole game, too. He's pretending like he's one of those tough guy senators. He represents the guy who just got shot with his birthday cake. Did you hear Ted Cruz tweet about it yesterday? No, he doubled down on his. He didn't tweet about it, <laughs> Jimmy. Nobody mentions it. That's the America we live in now. It doesn't even count. A horrific tragedy. Ted Cruz tweeted about his podcast. Listen to my podcast. I need more subscribers. Like it's all a freaking grift. That's what this country's turned into. That's what social media is. It's grifters. These people aren't journalists. It's not news. You know what I mean? It's just popular quick clicks and likes. And I get people follow me too. Don't follow me for facts. I'm not a journalist. I'm giving you my opinion, how I am reacting to things and seeing currents develop in our country and seeing things get overlooked on purpose. Well, and I interviewed a journalist for my podcast this week. Uh, she works out of Texas. She currently is at a affiliate in Austin. And but before she got there, she worked in El Paso and covered one of the shootings that happened. Uh, it happens way too frequently. But I asked her, you know, as a news person, that has to make your job difficult to show up to a location like that, having to talk to family members who lost somebody in a horrific event like that. And, you know, she explained her experience, but as somebody in the media, and, and I've been in my house for two years, it's not like I'm out covering things in the field, but 
from the nurses that are trying to keep the hospitals from collapsing to the media trying to get any sort of truth out there, it's all distorted and, and framed depending on what your truth is. For us to call ourselves the United States, it's kind of a, a joke now. You know, what, what are we actually united about, really? If We're you can't not- unite under a pandemic, there's nothing you can unite under. Yeah, absolutely right. And the scariest moment for me in the last two years was in in like sort of the end of April, when Trump had finally taken this thing seriously, he tried to deny it, right? He was making the people stay on the cruise ship, you know, the 50 people that had it offshore and was like, don't test them. I don't want the numbers, you know, and, and then it's sort of like it all hit the fan and everything shut down and he discovered he could give daily you know, whatever you call those things, where he, things told people, yeah. Yeah, where he told people to drink bleach and shit, you know, <laughs> like it started, it fed his narcissistic instinct. So he was kind of into it for 10 minutes. And then Jared Kushner most likely figured out there was no way to make money off of the pandemic. They were withholding PPP and doing all this kind of stuff, trying to squeeze the blue states, if you remember, and making, you know, governors beg for protection for nurses and things like that. And I think when 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 sort of Kushner crunched all the numbers and realized they weren't going to make any money off it, the political calculations became more important. And then if you remember, Trump switched on a dime and was like, we're going to open up at Easter. At, at Easter, <laughs> I'd like to see full churches. And it's like, what? <laughs> you know, we have ambulances 24-7 in the streets of, of, of Manhattan in March. And you're talking about it's going to open at Easter. But when he said that, it terrified me because I realized, oh, we'll never get over this. It'll just turn into a gray area type thing because he's divided us once again. And it's like, you're either going to be like, I'm scared and I'm wearing a mask and I'm doing the right thing and trying to flatten the curve and stay inside, or I'm going to watch Alabama play some football you know what i mean and i'm gonna be in a so that yeehaw southern part of the country was just like yep it's over right Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden nashville and a lot of these places that never even closed up were open for business and you had concert tours again and all this kind of crap happening and i was like you're never gonna get over it and biden made a mistake too biden last summer told people to like take off their masks and stuff it was safe to do that that was stupid scientists didn't tell him that (laughs) you know that was a political thing like what we're not ready to take our mask. This is like back to Churchill. You need to tell people like, hey, this is going to be a couple of years to climb out of this, but we're all going to do it together and be stronger. And we're going to save this place. Not the expediency of like, it's all over. You know, I went down, did a show in Maryland. I had a great time, but I had to institute the mask mandate for the guests, right? That, that was a club that was open. That was just like no vaccine card, no uh, mask required. And when I showed up for the gig, the chick who met me was like, oh, I forgot I have to wear a mask around you and like put on a mask and stuff. And I looked up that club this week and now they have to wear a mask, right? Now it's mandated because the governor of Maryland got COVID recently and it's, it's spread again. And my point is we were never out of the woods to be like showing up without a mask in close quarters, without vaccine requirements. We were never there. I don't know how it slipped through the cracks that people could get on an airplane without a vaccination card. Mm. That's just insane. But my point is when Trump divided us like that, it's hard to get people to do the right thing. Even people that want to do the right thing, it's hard to do these pain in the ass inconvenient things, right? So once Trump was like, and the rest of the whole right wing infrastructure was like, don't wear a mask, be a patriot, don't comply, don't get vaccinated. And then you had Joe Rogan and all these other idiots piling on 
it's spread to the point where you have like an NFL quarterback who's like, I'm going to boycott the Super Bowl if my team goes. The guy's a fucking moron. You know, he never got educated beyond a 17 year old's level because he was a football player that people kissed his ass his whole life, you know, and now he's fallen under the sway of the sort of right wing, you know, demagoguery. And, and I don't know that Joe Rogan's right wing, but he's idiot, idiot wing, bro wing, chicken wing, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> he's in that wing, you know, yeah. mental ward, loony wing, dumbass wing. And they'll probably have the Super Bowl, right? They, they canceled the Grammys this week. Mm-hmm. Right. But they'll probably have the Super Bowl. I think it's in L.A., you know, and it's even in L.A. I was co-hosting a podcast with Stuttering John, you know, in that first summer. And I'm here in New York hiding and we'd say hello. And he'd be like, yeah, I just got back from the pub last night. You know, I was like pub. Like, how <laughs> are you? What? There was there was like two worlds happening two Americas immediately. And now you're going to have these variants forever, Jimmy. You know, and guys like you are never going to get to walk freely again. Are you just going to have to risk getting covid? And personally, I don't want to get COVID. I'm back in like shutdown mode. I canceled my shows in January. You know, I was playing the Iridium, which is a great music club in New York City. I'll be back in the spring when it's safe. I don't want people showing up. You know, I'm grateful for the guys that came in Boston and stuff. But, you know, all evidence shows you that it's time to stay in for a while. It's not Mm -hmm. time for mass gatherings. You know, we can still watch the Super Bowl on TV, but that's where we're at. That's where we're at, Jimmy. And, and, you know, I don't want to get it because I feel like it's giving Trump a win at this point. You know, I feel like if I have that virus in me, I got part of Trump in me, you know, (laughs) and the people I know that have Trump in them ain't happy about it. (laughs) You know, right. Right. No, they're miserable, man. And I, uh, I was on Twitter the other day and I told you guys last week that I had tickets to the Colts game. They were going to play the Raiders. It was going to be in a suite, you know, kind of an isolated area within a stadium, I guess. And, I talked about how you have to touch everything to get to your seat if you're a person with a disability. One of the people that I follow, is his name is a little boy, Geo the Podcaster on Twitter, and he's very much like me. You know, grew up a football fan. He's a huge fan of Carson Wentz, who's the quarterback for the Colts now. Uses a pull-behind walker like I used to when I was a kid and uh, got to meet the Colts a few weeks ago. Tested positive for COVID. <laughs> you know, a kid that is already having a difficult time when he's healthy and he's down and he'll likely recover because he's young, but it's not like he doesn't have an underlying condition that's going to complicate it and maybe prevent him from seeing things in the future. You know, and it just, I think about Gio and him wanting to be a broadcaster, you know, he's not going to get a chance to go to a stadium like I did and call games, not safely, or at least in the back of his mind, he's going to be worried about it. It just, it crushes opportunities for kids that never really had a shot. I know. And now, you know, in New York, we got this, you know, they're keeping the schools open. We got this mayor who's clearly a loose cannon. Like nobody wants to say it, but the guy's just like, you know, like clearly something's going on with him. Some sort of narcissistic personality disorder. Everything out of his mouth is I, me, my fire department, all this kind of stuff, you know, and you want to cheer for the guy. I want the city to to work out. And I'm I'm glad that he's, it's nice to have only our second, you know, African-American mayor. We should have had many more, but Maya Wiley was my choice, you know, who I know who's brilliant and stuff, but you know, this guy was able to sort of get himself in there. Cause he, you know, I'm law and order. I'm a former cop, you know, cops weren't wearing masks at the height of the pandemic. I told you that before on this show, you know, I would go by Midtown South and there'd be a hundred dudes lined up on the steps, cops without a mask on, 
the foot patrol guys that were about to walk around Times Square all day. You know, cops probably spread this thing around as much as anybody did. And it's also the leading killer of cops in this year. But anyway, my point is this guy's keeping the schools open and apparently it's just hellacious. You know, it's just hell. And, and I know it's tough to shut the schools down. And I, I'm certainly sympathetic to the fact that a lot of kids, you know, that's daycare and that's three hot meals or two hot meals. Like, but, you know, you can open resource centers for kids to go during the day and still not have everybody go there. Like right. just do it online again. I know it sucks, but come on. Everybody I know in New York City has this variant, you know, and if you're not vaxxed, it'll kill you, you know, and, and I don't want to see what it does, even if you are vaxxed, it's like a stun gun or something like this stun gun won't kill you, but it'll kind of hurt like I don't, I don't want any of it. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? I don't yeah. want the sweats I've been through I've been sick, you know, I've detoxed like I've gone through that shit I don't want any more, you know. But um, that's what well, it's, it's a it's a pre-existing condition too. Once you get it, like if the Affordable Care Act goes away, there's your insurance that you won't be able to get yeah, as a result of Trump spreading this shit around. You know, so if when it comes to the GOP, man, monetize and weaponize. Right. That's what they're about: monetize and weaponize. Well, that's the best point of the day, Jimmy. You just made it a pre-existing condition, you know, and you also have the long-term effects, which nobody knows about. Right. And, and no one's really talking about, but there's people who've got, you know, the initial round of COVID are like, look, I'm not the same. You know, it has heart damage, lung damage. People just, I'm tired all the time. There's plenty of anecdotal testimonies of people that are like, I have not felt the same since I got this thing, you know? So who knows, you know, what, what lies ahead, but how do you not take it seriously? It's killed 800,000 Americans. You know, I made this analogy that I don't know if anybody got, like some people get it, but you know, if somebody was coming through your neighborhood and they're like, I'm going to knock on your door and I'm going to punch you in the face, you know, when you answer the door. And then some people are like, you know, I already got punched. It wasn't even that hard to hit. It's not going to kill you or break your nose. Just maybe like some bruising or something. No, I don't want to get hit. I don't <laughs> want that punch. I don't care. You know, like, yeah. so it's that kind of thing. If you had another metaphor, if they were like, you know, they say it's mild, right. But like, one out of a hundred people dies. That's too much. If you were like, Hey, we're going to get on this bus right now. It takes a hundred passengers. And one of you guys is going to be dead by the time we get to our destination. You'd be like, I ain't getting on that bus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't want to be that guy, but somehow, you know, we've let people talk about freedom and bullshit. And, you know, anybody who's seen my live set, you know, it's, it's all about this. When I saw a great white shark ate a seal in front of me at the beach this summer, Jimmy, not a joke. You know, I told yeah. you, I texted you that day, like ate a freaking seal, a great white shark, Jimmy. I don't mean like a tiger. Shark. Boy. I mean like jaws, dude. You yeah. know, this is in Cape Cod, the end of Cape Cod. I talk about it being in, in Nantucket in my set, but it actually happened in Cape Cod, a place called race point, which is a park at the end of Cape Cod, beautiful, beautiful place. And, uh, shark great white breeding grounds this is where they breed so and it's shallow water basically you know it, it's shallow and then it drops off to like 200 feet <laughs> so oh, it's okay. the, you know it's just like it'll just come right up from the depths and you're not going to see it coming wow. and it came and, and ate a seal in in front of this lady a lady was like 10 feet away and it <laughs> ate the seal and you see the water and stuff and like, then there's a big blood stain and people didn't know if it ate a person at first, because you just yeah. see blood and the lifeguard guys are blowing their whistles and stuff. And they told people to get out of the water and people got out of the water, right? <laughs> they weren't like, yo, freedom, bro, tyranny, 
tyranny. You can't make me get out of the water. I have immunity. You know, I have herd immunity because there's a hundred of us in the water. No, everybody else stay. You know, if you get out of the water too, my herd immunity immunity diminishes, right? That's insane. If you thought you were getting eaten by a shark, you're not getting in that water. And after that happened, you know, we all had to sit on the beach for like an hour. And then they were like, all right, coast is clear. You can go back in the water, dude. People weren't running back in the water after that. Right. They were like putting their toe in. Now nah, I'm good, man. <laughs> you know, like it changed your perspective on things. And, and that's what that that's what the last two years should have done for us. Right. It should have changed your perspective to know that your fellow Americans, you know, many of whom died alone in hospitals, given the best care they could get by these beleaguered nurses that were under attack and that were working shifts that made them feel like they were in a war zone because they were. Right. And, and your governors in these states were only making it worse every chance they got. I can't imagine what it would be like to be a nurse in Florida or Texas or something. Mm. I can't imagine, you know, and they're heroes. They're doing it for these patients, for these people, because that's their job. Like it would if I was a nurse in Florida and I saw Ron DeSantis giving a press conference that he like he did this week, talking <laughs> about how he let a million tests right. expire over the holidays while his surgeon general is standing behind him, picking shit out of his eye, which is what the guy was doing. The guy was like picking a booger out of his eye, <laughs> like with no gloves or masks on. While it's just like, what? That's the surgeon general, the guy who walked into mm-hmm. a hospital without a mask the previous week. So can you imagine being in the healthcare system and knowing that the leadership were these guys like that, these scumbags that were trying to spread it around? And I'll say one more thing. And I said this in the summer and people were like, oh, whatever. Part of the reason like Fox News and all these guys are like, don't comply, don't get vaxxed, don't wear a mask is because they want it to flare up again so they can pin it on Biden. And when it came out this week, you know, the Sean Hannity texts that he was like telling everybody like, hey, you better make him stop. You know, this is bad. The day that broke, we, we turned on Hannity that night and his first 10 minutes were all about how Biden made the surge worse. Right. And Biden was going to crush COVID and he didn't. So they wanted it to get bad so they can blame it on him. And they don't care about their voters. People will make that mistake. They'll be like, well, why would they want to kill their own voters? They don't care. They don't need all the voters. They're cheating. You know, they're putting their own people on these election boards. They're going to say they won no matter what. And that's what January 6th was about. We won. You know, here's how you do it, Mike. You know, (laughs) you know, the unlikely hero, and I'm not using that term like there's anything heroic about Mike Pence, but he did save the day. He stood up to Trump on January 5th and said, I I can't do it. I even talked to Dan Quayle and there's no way I can do it. He did hold his ground and then they basically tried to kill him. Right. And when (laughs) killing him didn't work, they were like, get in this SUV, you know, get in the limo. We'll take you out of the Capitol. And Mike Pence was like, I'm not getting in that limo because, you know, I'm not coming back if I do. And what he meant by that was like, they'll take him off the grounds and apply that hinky stuff to be like, well, the vice president isn't here. He can't certify the election results. You know, Trump's president. You know, there's all these other squirrely ways they had to do it. They could do it in the House of Representatives. There's a way to, you know, get around that kind of stuff and just do these votes. And Pence knew that. He knew about the plans they had in place and the Green Bay sweep and all this stuff. Then he was like, I'm not getting in that SUV because I'm not coming back. He knew if he got in that SUV, Trump would still be president. And also, here's my take on that. I think he would have gotten in that limo and you would, the next headline, 
would have been like Mike Pence has a heart attack in back of SUV, you know, Secret Service limo leaving the Capitol. And it would have been a plausible excuse, right? You would have thought he's an older guy, all the excitement and danger. He gets rushed away and then he has a, a heart attack. And he knows, you know, those guys could turn around and hit him with a shot of adrenaline or something. You know what yeah. I mean? They got oh, yeah. ways to take care of business in this government and you don't never know what hits you. And he knows that. So he knew like, I'm dead if I get in that freaking thing. Not that Trump gets away with what he's trying to get away with, but I probably am in trouble too. He would have been. They wouldn't have just taken him somewhere nice. <laughs> you know, he would have been under their care at that point. And, and that's insane. Back to the, the, you know, the thesis statement of this podcast. That's what we're talking about, Merrick Garland. Let's get that stuff under oath. Let's get like Mike Pence and his Secret Service team to talk about what happened on the loading dock or whatever of the Capitol. You know, and the January 6th commission is doing a great job of going after that stuff. I don't have any criticism for them. You know, I have criticism against the DOJ because this whole, uh, we're just getting the small fish and then we get the bigger fish. Well, most of the fish you've gotten are like misdemeanors and felonies. A lot of them, the judges have not taken the state's recommendation at the jail time and given them lesser sentences, right? Mm -hmm. They let one of them go on a hunting trip for two weeks this year. You know, they let another one go to Mexico on a family vacation. Like what? <laughs> you know, you're not exactly showing that you're holding these people's feet to the fire. You're basically going as easy on them as you can. Yeah. Well, and Mike Pence has shown that he attests just to the bare minimum. You know, when he was leading this COVID uh, task team, he showed up to the Mayo Clinic without a mask on while everybody else around him was wearing a mask. You know, if you want to look weak and not show that you're a leader, that, that was the issue with Trump as far as the beginning of COVID. And until he got it, you know, he wasn't wearing a mask. And monkey see monkey do that's the most basic thing that you can do as a leader is demonstrate to the other people look i'm president of the united states let's wear a mask and he right. couldn't even attest to that so mike pence is no hero <laughs> and i had to deal with him as a governor at a local level uh from refra to everything else and he's back in his multi-million dollar mansion uh, having served the leader so and he's gonna have two more books to sell because that's what it's about you know the the media portion of this is another cog in the machine. A hundred percent. You know, look yeah. at Larry Kudlow. He's back on, you know, Fox Business Network or whatever. The guy was <laughs> drunk for four years, you know, given the worst advice. He was one of the guys who said, open everything back up, you know, right away in that first summer of 20, not even last summer, but the preceding summer, Larry Kudlow was like, yeah, we got to open this economy back up. Fuck you, Larry. You drunk, <laughs> you crackhead, you idiot. You know what I mean? These guys are whack jobs, but they make a fortune off of this stuff, you know, and it's not good, Jimmy, you know, know. You're, in, you're living in an interesting time, you know, and uh, other times in American history, at least you had a great soundtrack. That's right. <laughs> right? And, and, and like the 60s and all that tumult, you had awesome music coming out. What do you got now? Nothing really. Right. Yeah. You like the yeah. New Weekend album, but, you know, yeah. it's not exactly Creedence Clearwater. You know, <laughs> he's no. not exactly speaking the truth to the people. Right. No, I, I want to be on uh, Dusk FM. I'll be the uh, the radio personality. Anybody that hasn't listened to the Weekends album, it's really cool. It sounds like a hour on a radio station. You know, he's kind of old school, and it's got breaks of interjecting phone numbers. You know, call one eight hundred four one four 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 forty four, and then back to Don FM, and then it's back into the music. So it reminded me of a 
secret Santa thing that I did for my uncle one time. I took his initials, JWK, added a W on in front of it and like made him an hour of a music CD that he liked with me giving breaks in between. And I'm like, there you go, weekend. Way to incorporate old media so that people awesome. listen to radio stations, you know? Well, you know what they called that old media back in my day, Jimmy? What's that? They called that a mixtape. You can make mixtapes <laughs> yeah. for people. You'd record songs off the radio by hitting record when your favorite song came on. And then yeah. you would like, you know, you, you'd, you'd tell a story to, with these songs that you send them to your, you know, your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. Right. So, uh, you know, and it was fun when we shared stuff like that. I'm nostalgic for the old days in many ways. You know, even in my, in my time, like if you met somebody you know, if you met a girl at a dead show or something, you, you know, you would need to get a piece of paper and a pen to get her phone number, right? Yeah. Like now people, you know, they can just all ping you or what it's not even ping. That's all, you know, it's like <laughs> you can just get everything, you know, like everyone's information, like just off of a picture or something, right? Yeah. There's no like kind of like romantic kind of like missed connections you know back in my day this would sound crazy to you but like there would be like the village voice and stuff and people would take out ads and they'd be like you and i were both on the six train at 5 30 i was reading kierkegaard and you smiled at me wanted to say hello but didn't have the courage got off on 42nd street you know please respond (laughs) and people that's what you'd have to do because you'd have no chance of ever seeing that person again you know now you could just be like Social media, you know, you could just be like Facebook, 86th Street, you know, whatever, like there's a million ways to stalk somebody now. But, uh, you know, it, it, it leaves less room for the heart to uh, sort of, you know, imagination, the heart and imagination to be sort of romantic about this stuff. So, you know, it's cool that you're into the new music. You ever listen to Bob Marley, Jimmy? Uh, a little bit here and there. Uh, a little bit here and there, he says to Bob yeah. Marley. Yeah. Well, you I, I, a lot of it deeply, bro. I know he's he's a deep guy. You know, yeah. uh, everything's going to be all right. That's one of my favorite ones, just yeah. by the message that it sends. And I know that he was gone far too soon. I've read a little bit about Bob. I wish he was still around. But yeah, well, CAA wasn't keeping him around. It no. revolutionary. <laughs> but um, yeah. Now you should. Uh, my point. I'm talking about this music. Like, that's some stuff to dig into. You know, in between listening to like The Weeknd or whatever, you know, listen to Trenchtown Rock and listen to, you know, listen to those guys because they were living in a colonial, uh, you know, nation, you know, an island that had been colonized by Britain and like where they were just completely facing just nothing but injustice, you know, and living in in ghettos where poverty would stagger you, you know, Mm -hmm. by American standards. And, you know, somebody like Bob Marley responded to it with beauty, you know, with this beautiful, beautiful, inspirational music, but don't kid you not, it's not like everything's going to be all right, like uh, zippity doodah, okay, right. these dudes knew the reality of, of what they were facing, and it, it, it's a lot harsher than that, but ultimately, everything is all right, right, that, you know, it's not all right on social media, it's not all right on Twitter, it's not all right in the world of politics, it's certainly not all right in this country, and it's not all right in the environment, right? But you walk out there and you'll still see reasons to be inspired. You'll see birds. You know, I'm here in the country. I went cross-country skiing today. And behind where we live is all these birds and stuff that are in these, like they they feed on these winter berries. There's all these bushes with these berries, you know, and they're covered in snow and all these birds are like, they're not complaining. They're not complaining about how cold it is. They're like eating these berries and, and like glad that it was finally a blue sky, which is rare these days. And 
there's wisdom in nature that we don't we need desperately and what we've lost our connection to you know everybody's talking about this show yellowstone right i haven't seen it but it's like the popular trending thing the real yellowstone right the, the national park they've killed 20 percent of the wolves this year and and the uh the season still goes on for another couple of months they trap them they shoot them at night they bait them like they do these horrific things these guys that call themselves hunters those aren't hunters those are assholes just trying to kill something with their gun. There's no hunting involved. It's not a fair fight. You're just murdering an animal for sport. And we don't even stand up to that. You know, and, and I, I talk about wolves a lot because there's the Wolf Conservation Center, which is a great thing to follow on Twitter. And the person who founded it is a neighbor of mine. And it, the center is actually in South. I don't want to say where I live. It's near me. But um, it's a cool thing, you know, and yeah. wolves are something like that you can study in terms of like what you need to see about what we're missing because they work together in teams you know they live in packs and they take care of each other you know and they sleep in the snow you know and they have their kids in these dens you know and like they sort of work in concert in a way that that we don't we've been fractured and we need to look to nature to learn how to come back together and we sort of we need to realize that nature is full of sentient beings that have just as much right to be here as we do. You know, England, I'll applaud them. They just listed like, you know, lobsters and, 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 and octopus and squid as sentient beings, right? Mm -hmm. Like meaning these things have feelings. Uh, uh, octopuses are more complex than human beings. You know, those things are the most amazing creatures on the planet, dude. They change color when they dream. They can camouflage themselves like a rock. They'll escape when they're being held in labs, there's one of them that escaped from a lab, made its way into a storm drain and found its way back to the ocean, mm -hmm. right? That's James Bond level stuff, right? <laughs> but, you know, they, they finally like designated them as sentient beings. What does that mean? It means you have to stop eating them? No, you shouldn't, but you do anyway, right? It means you can't boil them alive for three minutes without any regard to their suffering. You don't, you're not allowed to legally do that to other animals. Right. They don't torture the cows and the pigs and all these other things that people eat. Right. But right. somehow we still torture these other creatures without understanding them fully. You know, and what's the gift they have for us? What can we learn from that beauty, from the harmony that exists in nature? We don't have to look at everything as predatory. Right. And that's how we're sort of taught to view the natural world. Like, oh, it's going to eat me. You know, I talked about the shark. You know, in reality, I'm not scared of sharks. We kill millions of sharks a year as a species. I'm always rooting for the shark, you know, when, when the person gets to eat, okay, well, you know, you're in his backyard and it's always by mistake anyway. It's horrific. I'm not laughing at somebody getting eaten by a shark, but come on, you know, the odds of that compared to catching COVID and dying, it's not even a contest, yet you won't wear a mask, right? That you'll eat a freaking cheeseburger. You don't even know what's in it. You know, you're buying a hot dog at 7-Eleven. And sometimes that's all people can afford. I'm not judging you for doing that, but we can do all this stuff better, right? And, and the best way to do that is to sort of, sort of live in concert with the natural world and just observe it. We all need to put down our phones, put down the podcast, turn off the TV and not, not shut down to what's happening, but center ourselves and understand that it's happening within this whole organism, right? We're all standing on this rock that's spinning around in space, right? right? You, you know, I know you don't get out a lot, but I'm sure you look at the night sky sometimes, you know? There's a billion other planets out there. 
there's other galaxies. We can't even quantify the infinity of how long it goes on for. And our brains hurt when we think about it, right? But all of the modern devices and media are designed to gather our attention just in the moment. Let me keep scrolling. Let me see what this girl's twerking. Oh, she's twerking to the Jay-Z. This other one's twerking to the new weekend single or whatever. You know what I mean? It's all this instant gratification and this like narcissistic desire to be famous. Everybody wants to be famous and get likes and stuff, you know? You know, and I'm in the arts, like obviously. Me too. You know, there you go. Jimmy wants to be famous, ladies. Make him famous, ladies. Make Jimmy famous. Why do you want to be famous, Jimmy? Well, my dad was like moderately famous. I don't want to be like, you know, Hollywood Walk of Fame famous. I would like to be able to walk into a place and people know my name. And why though? Why? Because your ego, right? That's not the real you doesn't want that. The real you would understand that's a fool's game. And that's for everybody. And I understand it. I wanted to be famous most of my life. I went to drama school and you want to work in the arts. I worked with real famous people. (laughs) You know, I was around Michael Jackson and Madonna and stuff. And as soon as cell phones got invented, I no longer wanted to be famous because I would travel with famous people and I'd walk into a bathroom with them in an airport and watch some guy pull out their phone and be like, wow, such and such. Can I get a selfie, bro? You get it. It's no fun being famous anymore. And if you're going to be famous, be famous for being respected. I always thought the best kind of fame would be like being John Updike or somebody, right? You're some kind of novelist. Nobody knows what you look like. Your name has weight so you can get a reservation, you know, at a restaurant and they see your credit card and be like, oh, I'm a big fan. But nobody's like, ah, it's John Updike. You know? Exactly. Yeah. You, don't, you don't want the narcissistic Kim Kardashian fame, Jimmy. And that little hit of everybody knowing who you are when you walk in a restaurant don't chase that feeling, bro. I promise you that's a bullshit, well, a bullshit okay. feeling that'll, that'll leave you empty. Like Elvis, you'll be sitting there <laughs> shooting at TVs, 300 pounds, bro. <laughs> One thing that I wanted to do, and you know, I've always been a good writer and dad was obviously a musician, but he's like, bro, be a songwriter for other people. You know, you, cause hey. like they'll get invited to the Grammys if they win uh, one that, you know, wins an award. So you're right. Like being a writer or somebody that has an influence on uh, public opinion, but they may not be known publicly. That's probably what I'll aim for. Oh yeah. That's great. I mean, behind the scenes songwriter was my ambition. You know, did you ever hear world gone wrong? This, this song I wrote and I wrote it. It it was recorded by uh, Sarah Lee Guthrie. Who's Woody, Woody Guthrie's granddaughter and, and Arlo Guthrie's daughter and her husband, this guy, Johnny Erion. And I wrote the song when I was on a Crosby stills and Nash tour and I was sitting around with Graham Nash and catering and we were in the Midwest and the, the riots were going on in St. Louis at the time, mm-hmm. you know, in Ferguson, Missouri, over the shooting, another shooting of a young black man, right, <laughs> who was shit murdered in the street by a cop, right? And mm-hmm. then, uh, so we're watching this on TV and catering and I was getting so pissed. I was like, Graham, I, I got to write about this. I can't even talk about it because we were having a conversation. I said, I just got to go write about this. And he goes, that's a good idea. Let's go to our hotel rooms and write songs. So we both wrote our songs about it that night. He came with his song. He got to perform it a couple of days later because we were on a Crosby Stores, still the Nash tour. I gave my version to my friend Johnny who liked it and he recorded a demo of it. So I was like, well, I'll, I'll share the song with you if you want to do anything with it. And we put it out. I said, my only condition is it has to go for charity. I don't want to make any money off of this because I'm writing about something that's happening. So we, we gave the song to the Southern Poverty Law Center 
and they did a, a fundraiser off it. And Morris Dees, who's a great civil rights attorney, was running the SPLC at that time, wrote me an email. And he goes, the lyrics of this song remind me of Dr. King's speech at Memphis, where he talked about the arc of the moral universe, you know, mm-hmm. too kind, right? But it felt yeah. so good to be like, you know, hey, I get what you're trying to say. And thank you for helping out with the cause. You know what I mean? So, and that was satisfying. And I was never, I never played on the final version, even though I recorded the demo myself, you know, on my phone in a hotel room. My point was the desire to talk about something bigger than myself and and record it to keep a record of it. That's a beautiful thing to pursue as an artist. And that's what you want to think about. It's not about being famous. It's about doing the thing that you're good at because it's going to bring somebody else some joy or some understanding or help you make sense of the world around you. You know, Leonard Cohen would say, who I got to work with, I'll tell Leonard Cohen stories another time. But, um, and he would say, hey, brother, when I'd see him, it's like, whoa. You know, <laughs> Leonard Cohen saying, hey, brother, I worked with him when he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and spent the day with him, one of my heroes. But he has this line, I think it's famous Blue Raincoat, and he goes, I hope you're keeping some kind of record. And that's about documenting your life. You know, that's about keeping a record of the time that you're here. And you're handing that down to the next generation to come. And, and that's the pursuit. You know, it's not to say art isn't good. It's great. And when I say don't be famous, I'm not talking about that. It's just like you can't control those things. You know, being famous is like winning the lottery. OK, and lots of people are famous now. Kim Kardashian is famous. Her whole family's billionaires. They've never done anything. Right. And they're more famous than you or me will ever be, Jimmy. You know, that's a different kind of fame. Like, but you know, Picasso famous, you know, like doing something where, you know, my point I'm trying to make is focus on the art. That's the only thing you can control. You can't control what happens and you want to be well-received and you want people to know who you are, you know, and I'm a comedian. They don't come to my shows unless (laughs) they know my name. Right. Right. But I don't think about that in terms of, oh man, everyone's going to love this joke. I just think about what am I trying to express? What means something to me? You know, and how do I honor the privilege of performing with saying what I need to say, not what they want to hear? You follow me? Because you get into the fame thing, you're going to want to sustain it, which is impossible. And that's the mistake that most people make. You know, the first album's really big. Now they got to do the second album and they keep sort of trying to please the marketplace. And it's like I told you about love and attachment in real love versus attachment right real love is you're just open-hearted loving everything that comes to you and you don't care about the results right but attachment is like i gotta keep her happy so i better say the right answer if she asked me if i want to go to the movies later (laughs) you know it gets to be the same way in art you're trying to please the marketplace and you have managers and people that are like oh you got to do this or that you don't want that you want to stay true to who you are as an artist and the audience will find you the real ones will ride with you as they say in the hip-hop vernacular right? Yeah. You want to fuck with the people that fuck with you and people will get what you're putting down. If it comes from a truthful place, if it's bullshit and just pablum and you're trying to get rich off it. Yeah. There's a place for that. You'll probably get richer than the guy speaking the truth. Right. But you're only here for a short amount of time anyway. Right. Even if you live to be a hundred, it's a blink of an eye. So you got to You got to do what's in your heart. You got to use those gifts you've been given in the right way. And you're doing that, Jimmy, you got a message. You're, you're, you're a multimedia mogul at this point. Known in the world, baby. Exactly. Trying to anyway. Um, 
Yeah, you know, my uh my podcast, that's what I've tried to do, man. Like I when I would work for radio stations and different things, I would have to talk to people that I didn't necessarily want to talk to. It was all about corporate interests and trying to get as many ratings as we could. So I said, hey man, let's do a podcast where I'm gonna talk to people that either motivated me or mentored me or yeah, hopefully they hopefully my audience gets something from them. The last journalist that I interviewed, we went to high school together. She's a woman of color that grew up where I'm from, which is 90% white, <laughs> you know, so to learn from her experience and to get better as a journalist too, I achieved that this week and hopefully the audience gets something from it too. Well, there you go. My friend, Judy Gold is playing in Carmel, Indiana this week, I think on the 14th. Jimmy. At the Carmichael, right? Yeah, there you go. We gave Judy's <laughs> show a shout out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Judy's great. I saw her this summer. She's amazing. If you can see her safely, and I think you got to be safe to go see her, and Judy wouldn't be there. But anyway, uh, all right, guys, that's enough. So my name is Noel Kassler. This is my podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter and wherever else you go to get enraged on social media these days. I will be there spitting those enraging truths. <laughs> uh, don't even get me started on social oh. media i'm so over it jimmy i had to turn off my comments for a couple days because don't give those assholes attention man they well, don't deserve giving it. them a platform is the problem you know right. you know all the elon musk bots how is this guy a genius and every time i post a tweet some elon musk bot shows up you know i don't mean right. trolls i mean there's this i don't know if you've seen these form bots that, oh, that, they're like they're like computerized comments. Yeah, it's like a picture of his Facebook page, his name, and it's just like oh. it'll be like spaghetti squash raven. Elon I'll tell you. I mean, yeah. if it wasn't part of the formula and part of the game, I would get rid of it. It's toxic shit to be around. It's completely toxic. It's yeah. the it's gonna be the downfall of this country. There's no <laughs> question. There's basically nothing positive about it at this point. And I appreciate the listeners. I appreciate the fact that we're on that platform, but it ain't gonna end well. There's no question. But this show is gonna end, and this was our 45th episode. So as I said, you can catch me in the aforementioned places. Thanks for listening. You can catch my man Jimmy, ladies. He's about to tell you where jbkonair.com also check out my podcast as i mentioned twice before did a podcast this week with my girl jayla washington who works out of austin texas an awesome person that y'all should learn about she's a bright light down there in texas good good that we have her covering right. well, texas needs it so good for you all right so there you go those are all the beats thanks for listening guys stay warm it's a cold one out there and we'll be back next week peace <laughs>